0: Today in our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text, we look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is the beginning of Book 3 of the Psalms. If you like Psalms that express the brokenness of the human condition, you have come to the right place. For Psalms in Book 3 do that. Many of them are national laments. And Psalm 73 has been characterized as a wisdom psalm as the writer is disturbed by the prosperity of the wicked. One of the things you notice about Psalms 73 through 83 is all of them have the name of Asaph in the heading. Now Asaph was a temple singer He's mentioned in First Corinthians 15, verse 17 through 19. I should say First Chronicles 15, 17 through 19. First Chronicles 16, verse 5. First Chronicles 25, in verse 1, and Ezra 3, in verse 10. Asaph's name appears at the heading of 12 psalms, Psalms 73 through 83, as we've already mentioned, and then Psalm 50. But in Psalm 73, the writer almost lost his faith. He almost lost his faith because he became envious at the prosperity of the wicked He begins saying, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That is his conclusion. He will end in verse 28 of Psalm 73 in a way very similar to that. But in between, he's going to go through a great struggle of faith. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped. Now, this expression, but as for me, is actually one word in Hebrew where the conjunction is joined to the first person personal pronoun. And this is used to open four of the sentences in Psalm 73. Often in the Bible... This expression contrasts the wickedness of the world with the author's determination to do right. For example, it's used in Joshua 24 and verse 15. After Joshua has invited the people to choose what God they will serve, he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Often, this particular word, this particular expression is used to emphasize the writer's determination to do the right thing. But here, notice... While God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet came close to slipping. This goes in the opposite direction. He's about to tell the story of how he almost lost his faith. And the reason, in verse 3, I was envious at the, of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In Psalm 37, the Bible tells us not to be envious because of wrongdoers. Not to be envious because they will wither like the grass and fade like the green herb. The same warning is given in Proverbs 23 in verse 19 maybe we need to be warned of this because often wickedness does seem to pay and it does seem that things go well with the wicked so we are warned don't be envious of them don't envious, don't be envious of their prosperity their shalom in hebrew their peace in hebrew don't be envious For the Bible says in verse 4, There are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as are other men, nor are they plagued like the rest of mankind. It seems like, from the writer's standpoint, that the wicked are exempt from all the problems that plague mankind. He does not see any trouble coming their way. And even when the day comes that they die, they die in ease and peace. No pains in their death. Their body is fat. There is no trouble for them. Actually, in both verses 4 and 5, the Hebrew language uses the particle of non-existence, as it's often called, to, To emphasize, they just don't have any trouble at all. Now, maybe that's not a correct view of reality. Everybody's life has some trouble. But even though he may be overstating his case, and in his desperation, it may have seemed to him like they never have any trouble, he's not totally fabricating the situation. Because we know it often is the case that those who do wickedness are prosperous. Wicked, wickedly are prospering. And those who do righteousness often suffer for it. It seems like sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7 in verse 15. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. That's Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 15. In Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 14, there's a futility which is done on the earth. There are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, they're evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this too is futility. Ecclesiastes 8 and 14. And the writer in Psalm 73 is looking out and seeing that. In verse 6 Pride is their necklace and the garment of violence covers them. These things are so characteristic of them, pride and violence, that it's almost the clothing they wear, the text says. In verse 7, their eye bulges from fatness and the imagination of their heart runs riot. They speak wickedly and speak of oppression. They speak from on high. In verse 8, the fact they're speaking from on high may indicate they have much influence and maybe even are powerful people politically. But yet they use their mouth for evil purposes in verse 9. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Verse 10 is difficult to translate, and different versions carry different ideas. But the New American Standard says, Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. Verse 11, they say, How does God know, and is there knowledge with the Most High? These people would not have been practical or would not have been theoretical atheists. But they may have been practical atheists. Now, the difference between them, they would not have denied the existence of God logically. If Asaph is a member of the nation of Israel, and we have every reason to believe that he is, then certainly the people would probably have not denied God's existence. But they may have lived as if he didn't exist. Listen to Psalm 10 verse 4. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. In verse 11 of Psalm 10, he says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see. In verse 13 of Psalm 10, why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. The wicked is convincing himself in Psalm 10 that he will never have to give an account to God for the way that he's lived his life. It's the same thing we read in Psalm 73. The wicked is convincing himself that he will never give an account for the way that he's lived in verse 11. In verse 12, these are the wicked And always at ease, they have increased in wealth. If you read Job 21, verses 7 through 16, and I'm not going to read that, but but let me encourage you to read it. In Job 21, Job is speaking out of the depth of his agony. And he says, the life of the wicked is idyllic. Everything is good and easy for them while it's the righteous who are afflicted and oppressed. It is so interesting in context because Job's picture of the wicked man looks like the speeches of his friends when his friends have described what the righteous life looks like. Job says, no, you're not right. It's not the righteous that look like that. It's the wicked's life who looks like that. And we know in Job's case that indeed was his present experience as he had lost all his wealth and lost his children and lost his health. We understand the depth of his pain. We understand a little of it. And the writer of Psalm 73 is experiencing the same kind of thing He is seeing the wicked prospering while he himself is suffering. Look at verses 13 and 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. The word translated stricken in verse 14 In the New American Standard is the same word translated plagued in verse 5 in the New American Standard. In verse 5 he is speaking of the wicked and he says that he experiences no plague. He is not stricken but in verse 14 He has tried to have clean hands and a pure heart, as Psalm 24, 3 and 4 ask of him, and he has been stricken, he has been plagued, and he's been plagued all day long. And the question the psalmist asks, why has he done it? Is it all in vain? Is it all meaningless? Is it all empty? Has he washed his hands in innocence for no purpose? At all, present realities are not always ultimate realities. The way things look right here right now is not the thing, way things will always be. And after describing the problem in verses one through fourteen, describing how he almost lost his faith. Because of the prosperity of the wicked. In verses 15 through 20, the light comes on. And it comes on when he's worshiping God. Let's read these verses. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this... It was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God and then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O God, when aroused, You will despise their form. In verse 15, If he had determined to air all his grievances against God and to speak out loudly about all his questions, he would have harmed other people. It is understandable that we all experience situations in which we say, Lord, I believe help my unbelief be careful who you turn to in those circumstances be careful that you turn to people who are more mature than you are who might help you in those struggles you may get amens from other people who have doubts but you may not get any help and he recognizes that he doesn't want to corrupt young people with all the wrestlings in his heart. And so he determines that he's not going to speak in all of these ways, but he's pondering to understand it, and even that is very troubling to him. In verse 16, the word troublesome in the New American Standard is from the same root as the word in verse 5, "trouble." In verse 5, the wicked experiences no trouble. And here, as he is trying to understand why the wicked have no trouble, he's troubled by that very thought. But he says in verse 17, Until I came to the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. It is interesting that there is no indication that his circumstances have changed. There is no indication that the wicked have suddenly stopped prospering and that he has stopped being stricken all day long. His circumstances haven't changed. But his point of view has changed. The light has broken through. And it's broken through when he goes to the house of God to worship God against God's sovereignty and God's eternity. These men of the moment seem so weak and so defenseless. And he sees when he understands that God is the center of reality, that God is the focal point of all the universe. He then understands that these wicked who seem to prosper are in a very precarious position. As he states in verse 18, you have set them in slippery places. He attributes to God their weak standing. You've set them in slippery places. You've cast them down to destruction. And he speaks in verse 19 of them being destroyed in a moment. There are a couple of instances in Numbers 16.21, Numbers 16.45, where that word that's translated moment in verse 19 is translated instantly instantly. They are going to be destroyed instantly, swiftly, suddenly. And they're going to be destroyed utterly, verse 19 says. And that word can be translated completely, Isaiah 16 and verse 4. They're going to be destroyed quickly. They're going to be destroyed completely. And all their prosperity, all their success will simply seem like a dream. Job 20, verse 8, Zophar said that about the prosperity of the wicked. And Psalm 73 says that he's right. Now, Zophar made a mistake in believing Job was the wicked man, but he was right in his picture of what happens to the wicked man. When he turns to God to worship, things change. Now friend, if you're having some questions about your faith, don't let that lead you to stop worshiping him. Our limited understanding is always going to have questions that are unanswered, that are unexplained. But it's only in worshiping God that the light May break through, and we may make sense of the confusion and turmoil around us. In verse 21, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within that I was senseless and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. He looks back on those days, and he is so shameful of his thoughts and his ideas. In verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Now, verse 22 and 23 begin the same way verse 2 did. It is that conjunction joined to the first person personal pronoun. But I, but as for me, and here, but as for me, I am continually with you. And you have taken hold of my right hand. When he had lost the strength. To hold on to God. God took him and held on to him. And in verse 24. With your counsel you will guide me. And afterward receive me to glory. The word afterward in verse 24. Is the same word translated end in verse 17. It's the same root word. Verse 17 talks about the end or the afterward of the wicked. The wicked who are going to be destroyed utterly in a moment. And in verse 24, the righteous will be received to glory. And by the way, that word received is the same word that's used in the case of Enoch in Genesis 5, verse 24. And the same word used in 2 Kings chapter 2 to describe Elijah being taken to heaven. God will guide us with his counsel and afterward receive us to glory. In verse 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven? And besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What is there that the wicked have that we don't have? they may have things but we have the real desirable thing in heaven and earth and that is god himself whom have i in heaven but you and beside you i desire nothing on earth and even when our strength and our flesh fails we have god our relationship with god is not defeated by death, but enhanced by it. Philippians 1 through 21-23 and notice as the psalm ends in which he refers to God as his strength, God as his portion verse 26, in verse 27 he makes a contrast between those who are far from you who will perish and those who are destroyed who are unfaithful, who are disloyal to you but he said, as for me Verse 28 begins the same way verse 2 did, verse 22 did, verse 23 did. But as for me, the nearness of God is good. Just as he said in the beginning, God is good to Israel. Now the nearness of God is my good. And I have made the Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your works. He has gone from a skeptic or to a person with questions, maybe better to say that, He has gone from that to being an evangelist of one who speaks of the mighty works of God. The word that's translated tell in verse 28 is the same root word translated speak in verse 15. He didn't speak in a way to betray the younger generation in giving his doubts of God. He does speak in telling the wonders and the works of God. Oh, that's an awesome psalm. And I imagine on some level that every one of us has wrestled with the questions of verses 1 through 14. If you have, keep reading it and look at its answers. But I also want you to see how Jesus answers this psalm. In Psalm 73, verse 5, the Bible tells us the wicked does not have trouble. But in contrast to this, and the wicked is not plagued. But as the wicked is not plagued, in verse 5, Psalm 73, verse 5, he's not plagued. But the righteous man, the sons of Asaph, are stricken all day long. In verse 14. Now, we pointed out that that word plagued in verse 5 and the word stricken in verse 14 is from the same Hebrew word. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same Greek word is used to translate those words at those points. And that Greek word used has the idea of being whipped. The wicked are not whipped, but he feels like he is whipped all day long. But that word that's used in the Septuagint in Psalm 73, verse 5, and verse 14 is used in the New Testament to speak of the scourging of Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 19. Mark 10, verse 34. Luke 18, verse 33. And John 19, verse 1. While the wicked person isn't whipped, And the psalmist feels he's whipped every day. And what good has it done me to serve you? Jesus knows what the wicked didn't know. And Jesus knows what the psalmist knew. He knows the experience of suffering. And that reminds us that to some degree the answer for all our suffering is is His. It is His suffering. Some discount the idea that verse 24, you lead me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Some discount the idea that that could refer to life after death. But think about it. We don't always see the righteous blessed in this life. As verse 24 indicates, and we don't always see the wicked falling to destruction in this life, as verses 17 through 20 talk about. This presses us to see an afterlife. This presses us to see how Jesus assures us of this hope by His resurrection. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through Jesus, we will be received to glory through his death and resurrection. Friend, there's so much to say. And there's so many blessings in this text. But keep reading it. And as always, we do appreciate you listening to our podcast.